Hey everyone, Chris Wan here. This is Accent Out Loud, a podcast about one person's take on English language learning, accent modification, and communication. This is going to be episode 25. This time around, we're actually going to do a little bit of a different take on things. I think what I want to try and do for people is give them another way to actually digest or hear about my newsletter. I think what I, I mean, what I find is very interesting with the newsletter is I'm able to focus on different parts of English language learning, different things that are culturally more relevant or current. And I get to talk about a different app, a different tech, a different news article or journal article, a different word, a different quote, and explain myself a little bit more on things and ways that I perceive English language learning and pronunciation. And I think this will be another way that I can more consistently produce more content on a regular basis. So by the time you guys are hearing this, it's probably going to be a day off. I'm recording this on Wednesday, October 9th. For those of you who have not heard of my newsletter, I'll put a link if people want to check it out, no pressure or anything like that. But what I typically do is I try to break it into five categories. So journal club, which is usually a journal article or some academic research or a news article that I found interesting and I thought it'd be interesting to share. A thoughtful quote. So the mentality, some the thought and attitude that I try to think about and have when I am doing accent modification, when I am learning a new skill, something to keep me pumped, a new word or a different way to pronounce a word that I think is important to bring awareness to. And a lot of this type of vocabulary word focus is similar to what I do with my Instagram content where I'm picking words that I think people might have a bit of trouble pronouncing or words that I think people may be mispronouncing because of preconceptions or patterns that they're trying to apply incorrectly to a word. And tech finds, which is a more interesting uh, tech related thing. And I find that it's helpful for me to even recommend to clients, to people when they don't know what is available to them in terms of resources. The internet is such a vast space to find resources, to find tech, to find things in the world to talk about and to learn about. I mean, there's so many language learning apps out there already, Duolingo, whatever else, that I think there's almost a constant stream of new tech. So This aspect of my newsletter lets me focus and pick and choose certain things that I'm interested in that I think would be beneficial for people learning a new accent or learning to communicate more effectively verbally. And then finally, uh, message mishap. That's the section where I talk about something that's gone wrong in in a communication setting or in a... Uh, situation. And I think it's important to sort of do a deeper dive or deeper discussion in terms of what went wrong, why did it go wrong, and what are things that are related or need to be considered or should be considered uh, from my point of view as a speech language pathologist. Okay, so we're going to jump to 
the first part journal club. So I actually pulled out a article. It's not that recent, actually. It's August 5th, 2019, but I thought it was pretty shocking. And it talks about action that's actually taken over legally hired foreign English teachers. So around the world, there is this phenomenon of trying to get English language teachers. And I know prim- a, a big push for it is also happening in China. And so the idea is everyone's sort of recognizing and identifying English as this lingua franca or common language as the world gets more interconnected, as businesses become more uh, multinational. The idea is companies need to have a common way to communicate. And I think just by numbers or whatever reason, English has become that, that language. I, I'm not going to talk or guess or hypothesize why English is that way. Is the language of choice versus like, I don't know, Hindi, Punjabi or Mandarin just based on numbers. But regardless, English is the, is the language. So there is a huge demand from around the world to have English teachers. And I guess it's gotten to the point where there is potential negligence in terms of the uh, background checking to make sure that teachers who say that they're English language teachers are standardized. So the article actually brings up a few issues and almost the pressures that companies are having, that English teachers are having to either lie or just, I don't even know, like make up things about the resumes just because they know they can get by. And it's a real detriment to everyone involved. A, the students themselves, they are not getting the best education in terms of their exposure to the language. And I think it's not so much an issue in larger communities. Like if you're talking about big, uh, big name companies, I don't know, in Shanghai, in, in urban areas, they're going to have enough demand. They're going to have enough monetary support. They can hire some British teacher or some American teacher properly. I think the concern is that for more rural areas who also identify the benefit of having English as a learned language for students and things like that, they might not have the resources to entice a native English speaker. And as they become more desperate, they just hire somebody. So the article goes into more detail about it. But basically, there is a non-native English teacher who was told that they could essentially be hired despite not having native English skills. And I think it parallels situations and circumstances in other countries where maybe you have a Punjabi English uh, teacher who's teaching Punjabi kids English, but they also have an accent, uh, a foreign accent or a Punjabi English accent. And as a result, the kids are learning the same way of pronunciation as the teacher, which ultimately is not a native English speaker's uh, pronunciation. So by the time they've graduated, these kids have graduated, grown up, gone into the workforce and are looking for jobs and maybe considering a job in a native 
English-speaking community or country, they are not up to par with the standard or pronunciation skills. They've sort of been this, in this isolated space and may not transition well into a native English-speaking community. There were some other issues that the article raised about, like, not doing criminal record checks and some child being molested because of this situation. So it is quite scary and quite concerning. I think the main thing for this podcast, for this newsletter point, was to highlight that there's a way to, to learn correctly and be intentional with how you're learning. And I think exposing yourself, if you want or aspire to have a more North American influenced accent or a British English accent. I know there are a bunch of British accents, but pick the one you want and tailor your stream of information accordingly. If you want a North American English pronunciation because you're typically going to be working with North American English speakers and you want to develop that general American English accent, then you should be searching for that. You should be watching television shows that reflect a general North American English accent. You should be doing the research to pick it up yourself. On to number two, a thoughtful quote. So I picked one, it's called, or the quote is, it's going to be hard, but hard is not impossible. And this is by Chuck Pilanuik. I might have butchered that name. <laughs> which is a shame because I should probably have figured that out. But I, I thought that was a really moving quote because I think it's important. I think it's important to acknowledge things are hard. Whatever you decide to do in life, whatever you, you, you set your mind to and things like that, it's going to be hard. But it's not impossible. And I think that positive outlook, that optimism that it's not impossible is really the, the take-home message that you can do it. Yes, it's going to suck. Yes, it's going to be hard work. Yes, it's going to be tons of your time and consume your life. But if you want it, that's the price you pay. And I, I think it's, it's so important to recognize this is a goal that you're identifying for yourself. If you really want it that bad, you should have to work for it. Because if it was easy, then everyone would achieve it but not everyone is achieving it. On the flip side, if somebody has achieved it who is in a similar background to you, then that means that it is possible. So two of the people that I, I highlight are Jack Ma from Alibaba. There are stories about how he practices English giving free tours to people in China when he was younger to try and practice his English pronunciation, to try and get exposure to English native English speakers, to have that influence, that interaction, that drive. Another one would be um, Deloitte's CEO, Renjin Panit, who likewise moved across the world to, to America and had to go through the motions, had to practice his pronunciation, had to mimic, had to memorize, had to listen over and over and over and over again to understand native English speakers and subsequently change how he speaks in English so that he can communicate his points effectively. 
I think that is such a such an important thing to really be aware of, to want, to to show the merit and, and the the need for success. Like if you want it so badly, you have to be practicing. A lot of times, I think clients will ask me, "How long do I need to practice? How uh, how how much work do I need to do?" and Honestly, if you want your English pronunciation to change, if you want the way that you speak in English to change, you have to dedicate all your time in English communicating to also learning this new way of thinking and speaking. Because if you don't, if you don't put that effort in, if you don't have that conscious realization that you're reshaping the way you speak in English, then you're not going to be consistently applying the conscious effort to change your habits. And if you're not changing your habits, then once you stop thinking about it, once you go on a tangent and forget yourself, then you're going to go back into your old habits. Next one would be the vocabulary word. So I picked the word extenuate, extenuate. And I think I like to pick multisyllabic words, so words with multiple syllables. A lot of times with non-native English speakers, we are choosing the wrong syllable to stress. And if we're choosing the wrong syllable to stress, then the pronunciation is off. And it's ultimately the way that I think of it is you're highlighting a part of the word that doesn't need to be highlighted. If you're doing that, some of the vowels will change. Some of the time, the timing for how long you say each syllable will change. And that ultimately shifts the overall delivery of that word. A lot of times the word extenuate, I would hear it in the sentence or the phrase due to extenuating circumstances. And I think there are these phrases in business in work, in academics, that I would want to cover more and more detail because I think they're helpful to liven up people's speech. I think a lot of times non-native English speech, the grammar, the phrasing, it's very, mm, what's the right word? Constant. It's constantly using the same grammatical structure, which ends up making your speech, your your commentary either not so engaging, boring, or predictable. And the whole point of English communication to deliver messages effectively is you have to keep people's attention. You have to get people's attention and then also gain people's attention. And so the ways that we do that in English are we use different phrases. We will frame it differently. We'll say it a little differently. Um, so a lot of times the phrasing like due to extenuating circumstances, we were beyond our control, your shipment was not sent in time. So it's just important for a non-native English speaker to know, oh, extenuating circumstances means forgivable or excusable. So that was that one. Uh, the next one, tech find. This one was actually pretty interesting. And it's a concept that I stumbled upon called 3MT or three minute thesis, I believe. And it started in Queensland, Australia. And the idea is 
how do you boil down your message, your academic research into three minutes? And it's a challenge for doctoral students doing their PhDs. And typically PhDs are what? Seven to 10 years or something? A substantial amount of time. And you have to boil that message and all your research for almost a decade down to three minutes. Now, it's not necessarily or specifically for non-native English speakers, but I think there is value in watching how somebody makes a convincing argument and delivers a meaningful speech or presentation about something important. On top of that, it has to be it's quite high level abstract discussions because it is a PhD thesis. It's not easy stuff to understand. But how does that presenter boil it down and make it simple enough for you to understand, be engaged, want to listen, and learn something? So the, the standards, uh, or depending on how um, strict you are to the 3MT policies, but you're essentially only allowed one, one PowerPoint slide or one slide, so you can't put all your information there. There's no animations, there's no equipment, there's no uh, costumes, there's no props that you can use to, to make your presentation more enticing. It's all about the way you present, your speech, your tone, your delivery, your phrasing to keep people engaged. And I think asking yourself those questions while watching these types of videos gives you a model for how to deliver a quick, concise, enticing presentation. And it also is sort of a incubator for knowing exactly how people deliver a message effectively. How do they make you engaged? Notice how quickly he spoke on this word, but how slow and timely and patient he is in delivering this second part of the message. What does that do to a, an audience member listening? Does it make them sort of lean forward and pay attention a little bit more to the word? Are they, is their, is their interest peaked? Does the presenter paint a picture using very eloquent words or colors or descriptors that make a situation more understandable? Or do they give a personal story? Do they storytell in a good way that keeps you as a listener engaged and listening? So it's things like that that are not necessarily non-native English speaker specific that are important. Not only are the words that you say and are you using the correct English word, are you pronouncing that correct English word correctly, but are you now delivering it in an enticing way, piece by piece, and building the story for an audience member to listen to? That's the third tier in good communication. And this is, com yeah, this is completely beyond accent modification, but this is good communication, engaging communication. Because there can be tons of native English speakers who are terrible at communicating because they're so boring, because they're so, um, they draw 
out their words too much and it becomes a, a whole boring situation. Or they read their slides and they just constantly read their slides one after another. If they do that, I can guarantee for you that I would be asleep. I slept a lot in class because of how boring a lot of my teachers were and how unengaged I was. And I would end up flipping through my, my notes, flipping through the slides, reading it all myself. And if I understood it, I would fall asleep because nothing they brought was of value to me during these presentations. So really thinking about how you bring value to the audience with your words, how do you lead them by the way that you say it, how loud you say certain words, how slow you say other words, how do you lead them to your point effectively? Finally, the last part, message mishap. We're talking about the effects of language proficiency on speaking up and competence perceptions in multinational teams. I pulled this from a journal article in, I think, yeah, 2019, pretty recent. Um, and what it talked about was actually, yes, okay, we acknowledge that companies are becoming more multinational. We acknowledge that different people in these groups, in these business meetings, might not speak English as their first language. What we now recognize is that these non-native English speakers who maybe are not as proficient in English or are not as good at communicating English, what's happening to their competency, their professional ability to perform at their task? And what we're finding is they are not speaking up as loud. They're not raising their opinions or their voices during the, the meetings, and they might not necessarily be as proficient in their work. And I think it's something that definitely everyone needs to, to be aware of because as, the, as we become more interconnected as a world, these are things that need to happen. If you have a UK branch, a branch in India, a branch in China, a branch in South America, I don't know, Mexico, Brazil, like these are all areas that have to be able to talk to each other. And if one team or one part of the team can't talk as well in English and is holding back on certain criticisms or certain concerns, then they're not raising them to the, the entire team and the entire business, and that might be having a that might have a detrimental effect on business. That's a huge thing, and so I think on an individual scale, it's something that needs to be recognized as important. To to recognize that a I might not be as comfortable not speaking I mean, speaking in English. I have to make the effort to either do something about it or B, maybe this has to come from an a business, a company um, policy perspective where they need to support non-native English speakers to be able to effectively communicate better in English. I think there's a, there's a lot to take away from this this research, but I think you have to see the importance in it. I don't really have a solution at this point in time, but you, I'm acknowledging that it's important. And whether or not you do something about it, it is still a problem. 
that needs to be addressed. Now, identifying the value of practicing English pronunciation and working on that on your own, that's one way of doing it. Identifying maybe a company policy or company benefit to have accent modification practice might be another way that you can get it done. But the recognition of that is the first step. Anyways, that was my recap of my newsletter. If you're interested in it, you can check the links in the description, the podcast description for this episode. I'm going to try and do this more often. On I do my newsletter on a weekly basis, so I'll at least churn out one podcast weekly for it. And I'll try to keep doing other podcasts on the side about whatever topics that I think of. Everyone have an amazing day. Have a great day. Bye. If you like what you're hearing, or even if you aren't, let me know. I know this podcast can be something great and educational for a lot of people. I'm here to listen, so give me your take, your likes, your dislikes, and maybe we can make this into something that'll help a lot of people. Leave a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Once I figure out how to read the reviews, I'm sure it'll help.